0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
1: A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend.
2: Welcome to the AEW Dynamite preview. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamblott and Michael Cedric to look ahead to tonight's episode of AEW Dynamite Blood and guts but before we get into it if you're a fan of this sort of thing make sure you subscribe to what I called dressing on either itunes spotify wherever you get your podcast from for daily wrestling podcast where we not only review AEW dynamite but also nxt Raw, smackdown pay-per-views we have interviews roundtable discussions and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz of course on wrestling culture as i said though joined by hamplet and sidgwick and uh, let's dive straight into it, uh, Michael Sidgwick. Britt Baker's in action no, I'm joking of course. I'm looking forward to Britt Baker in action but oh my God it's finally here and well if you before you do anything if you listen to this podcast very rare I say this stop listening to this podcast go and watch the road to to blood and guts right welcome back How bloody good's that How much can you not wait for tonight's show Michael Sidgwick This
3: is amazing. this day is amazing um I'm just going to be a Mark who cares before we fantasy book a match that they'll do much better than us. And that's one of the reasons why it's going to be so great. It's a sentimental day for me, this like if you're a lifelong pro wrestling fan, you are a mark, but at the same time you kind of trace the chronology of your own life through the lens of pro wrestling. It like marks dates on calendars. It lets you know where you were at a certain point. Just a byproduct of being a total dork for all of this. The blood and guts match, the original one that was meant to happen, is like really evocative. There are obviously worse things that have resulted from this goddamn pandemic than a really good wrestling match couldn't happen. Right. But through our subjective form of escapism, which accounts for so much of our personal free time, the fact that that blood and guts match didn't happen just illustrated, uh, right, the world really has changed. This really is awful. It's like very evocative of how much the world changed. You can look at it from that match graphic that never happened. It's happening today. Like that's, and it's not just happening today in the pro wrestling way of, oh, well, we've just given up on caring about protocols and, and the like. So let's just do things, which to be fair, both AEW and WWE did. It's not only happening after it felt like the great lost classic that never would happen, it's happening when goddamn touch all the wood you can and there'll be enough in the pants of everyone anticipating this show. It's happening when it feels relatively safe to do so in the open air environment with enough people in there to generate noise. And it's all happening in parallel with maybe everything getting a little bit better. This is a joyous momentous day. And I don't really care about not saying that like, this is great. This is just wonderful.
4: I I think it's really worth saying that because it's, It was said enough. And like, I believe with total truth about WrestleMania. Like, I felt the exact same way. Like, I didn't know how I would feel. And then that opening moment where you see the crowd for the first time and the noise of the Bobby Lashley, um, Drew McIntyre match, very much the same. These things are going to come around as the world hopefully comes around. And that's, again, in our little corner and our little sort of fandom, that's, I think that's the perfect way to toast like that because you're going to, years and years will pass by. And we'll remember a lot of the laws from the pandemic through wrestling too, because we all tend to remember things through wrestling. So I think it's really important to celebrate that. I think that, I don't think it's like, um, I don't think it's hyperbole either to say that like, this from AEW's point of view could be like a celebration of how they've, <laughs> making everything sound like a battle of a wrestling More, They've sort of won the pandemic. This match is earned in the way that- how <laughs> like, well how, like, like how they sort of arrived upon it after like a couple of aborted attempts, partly pandemic related, partly storyline related has been earned. Um, Daily's place as a destination once a week has been like a safe haven, a place to actually escape, like which is all wrestling is supposed to be. And it's been all the more frustrating when wrestling hasn't been the escape from the pandemic. It has typically on a Wednesday night in Daly's place, so the fact that it's happening there, the fact that it's happened before crowds have come back, like how many times have we said, oh, "I hope they wait for crowds," I hope they wait for crowds. I know there's like a thousand, two thousand in Daly's place, but you know, like real crowds.
3: Twenty, 20 five, is the is the maximum occupancy. So that's the thing. It kind of feels like it's just enough distance to ease your moral conscience. Right? Yeah, just enough noise for it to be tit.
4: But we would say that as relates to like 10,000 in an arena, wouldn't we? When we would like use that as yes, the example, yes, yes. save this for crowds, save this for crowds. It's still not there. And yet it still feels huge. It still feels big, like a landmark event in the company's like young history. Uh And that's, we're saying all this before we've talked about the match itself, the wrestlers mm-hmm. in it, the things that are going to happen, the key components of it, that it like,
2: it's an achievement before the bells rang. Just, to- Witnessing Tully Blanchard and Arn and talking about Arn Anderson in particular saying there basically won't be winners and losers in this match. So there'll just be five people who survive it effectively. It's just thrilling in the most morbid possible way. Yeah, watch that Road
3: two. Sorry, Willborn. I know you've said it, but I need to echo that. Watch the Road to after after you listen to this podcast. <laughs> Arn Anderson has a line and it's like screenwriter stuff. Like that could be an emotion picture, just how he such a great like soulful economy as a promo on Anderson, he can get across so much so powerfully with so few words. Like he's just a he's a master, and he's great in the road too.
2: Uh, I think we all agree, don't we, Sid John? Who we think the survivors are going to be, but the the route that they're going to take to get there is going to be a joy to watch. Do you, do you think this takes up the entire second hour of Dynamite, and and how do you see it all playing out?
3: Right, just bear with me. I'll probably go on for five minutes
2: here.
3: I've got no worries about time constraints, even with the addition of four matches, not least because one of them is Britt Baker in action, which is basically called for one minute squash, one minute promo celebrating said squash. A lot of time is allocated on this Dynamite show um, with promos, insets, backstage stuff. Um, They'll not format it like a TV show. I think the matches will be kept tight. And I think we're meant to hear from Miro. That's the only other thing that isn't a match that's been um, marketed. So I just think they'll time it out like a pay-per-view. It'll have that pay-per-view energy, not least because of the noise and all the rest of it, but because they're just, right, match ends, boom, straight to the next one. And I think all that business will be done in, what, 40, 45 minutes. You'll get the ceremony of the cage lowering. That might bleed in at the second hour and then all go from there. So I've got no worries about the time constraints. I do want some dramatic, like they used to do um sparklers from the top of the old War Games cage. I'd be stunned if the JCP, WCW diehards at the heart of that company won't mimic that or modernize it in some way. So yeah, I think it'll take up the bulk, if not all, of the second hour from presentation to the match beyond, which they can't call um that, of course. Can I just fantasy book what I think should happen in the match? Why oh, I'm hyped about it. The I'll do it now. yours. Um, here's the thing. There's been a huge, like, great theme that's married so well to the format of episodic TV with this entire MJF-Chris Jericho feud about chess games and one-upmanship and who's the smartest guy in the room. It's really, really been well done. For me, for this match, obviously Sammy Guevara's starting. I pitched that long ago. He's the best guy to... Have the tank to work a match like that. Like, you're not putting Hager in first, obviously. He's not, you don't put Jericho in there first, obviously, because he's too much of a star. You want to build and peek to those pops. Um, I would put Guevara, and that, in fact, is what they are doing in there first. I would have Sean Spears, who they've been like trying to do like sub feuds within the big conflict, and it feels like Guevara and Sean Spears are now like linked together as part of that. I would feign putting Sean Spears in there first but instead have MGF hold him back, wink towards Dax Harwood and put Harwood in there with the idea that they are getting the two-on-one advantage within five minutes. If you're putting two guys against one heels versus one face in that situation, you want to put FTR in there for the double teams. Like that gets them over as a team with all respectfully to Sean Spears. I prefer Dax Hall was in there five minutes longer than Sean Spears. Not that I don't think he'll be bad in the match at all. Like I think he'll be bang up for this. Jesus Christ, he's got enough criticisms to back back. Like, I think he'll be up for it. And I think he's capable of doing it in this context. But for me, I'll put FTR versus Guevara because this is a match in terms of the number advantage, in terms of the blood and the sympathy that the blood is meant to evoke, in terms of the, the, the visual of this cage and how much it'll rattle and how much the blood will sort of linger on that chain link fence. It's a match all about plight and it's a match all about suspense and danger and can the baby faces overcome. And for me, the best illustration of plight beyond all the ceremony and the visuals is FTR doing all some double team stuff to Sammy Guevara. And that's how
2: I would do this um I'm i want to give a quick nod to casual saying i don't have a wife and kids at home so i'm going to die basically <laughs> i mean fair enough absolutely fair enough i mean you should probably have some perspective it's actually a good life you've got there um because
3: the other one is very challenging you know rewarding but very challenging as well but i would have ftr i don't want to see i mean I've, it'll make sense in the storyline if spears does it in the beauty of putting Spears in there first is you don't get that deflating, all right, it's time for Sean Spears. I don't want to bury the poor guy, but he does have a lot to answer in the in this match. So that's how I would do it. From there, who would come in second? Santana and or, like Santana or Ortiz with the idea you get the younger, fitter guys who know how to do tags. And then you save the stars pop of Jericho and MGF deeper in the match when... You start to get a bit accustomed to the violence Mm. and you need that extra dimension of star power. And then in the end, you get Wardlow just surveying loads of these battered bodies in his wake and just killing them all the more, killing the dead bodies. And then what's going to be the true magic of this match is that Jake Hager is going to get a mega pop for being the last guy in it Mm. and clearing house and then restoring the advantage, and then you get the big final crescendo of the blitz. But that's how I'd do it. And I'm just so looking forward to it because not only do you have the potential to peak it perfectly, the second you've gotten used to the majesty of the blood and the stipulation, there's so many permutations narratively to go through. Jericho and Wardlow just sprang up the other week from that great um, tweak on the, the promo that Jericho cut. MGF Jericho face-off, the Hager Wardlow face-off. There's just loads and loads and loads of narrative to to just dive into, to luxuriate in, if you're any 10 of these men. And I think in terms of what to expect, we know there's a roof on the cage. We know they are going for the anti-NXT approach. And to be fair, some of the NXT War Games matches have been tremendous. I adored the first one in particular. I just thought it was wonderful. They are going not for sequencing or anything elaborate they're going for the tone I still think they'll modernise it obviously the can just if you watch the old war games matches as exhilarating as they are and as noisy as they are there's an element and it wasn't it wouldn't have felt like this at the time but through the wear and tear of time there's an element of one guy comes in and they just punch each other in the face like you need to update it beyond that because that just wouldn't fly it wouldn't really get over people would get disappointed this wrestling's new now so I just think they will never lose focus of the tone, the all-important tone of conflict, grudge food, these guys hate each other, with a few athletic flourishes that the, the modern audience expects?
4: I have a finish in mind that I think plays to that. Um, I expect this finish to be the complete destruction of Chris Jericho, more so than the inner circle. It is this game of chess, this violent game of chess that M. Jeff has played with Jericho. He's playing to win... He's playing to be the guy that's still going to be the top star in 25 years, which he said when he was 24 and Chris Jericho was 49, dating back to the John Moxley feud when he first made that comment. Yeah, like this is the culmination of that to MJF. So it's breaking apart Chris Jericho piece by piece. And I don't know if it involves anything twisty or turny. I honestly can't see it. I think he does it through sheer violence. They've got Tully, I guess, for a number's advantage if they want it. But I could see the bringing together of the pinnacle as the sort of the tighter unit when it counts in a finish that just destroys Jericho. I have Wardlow just pulverise him, press slam him up against that cage, whatever Jericho's covered in sweat and blood. and all how
3: high the roof is, is the problem. Well, oh,
4: yeah. Great. They were amazing, obviously, because it just like puts over that freakish strength even more so, especially because like Jericho's no small guy. Like, so Wardlow being able to press him above his head do, really does sell that 10 cent body. Um, So then once he's obviously battered and bruised, FTR pull him up together because they're the best team. They hold him up. And then Jericho finally sees Sean Spears upside in the form of a chair shot to the head by the chairman, mimicking what he did to Cody a year ago. And then MJF obviously with no need to pin one foot on his chest ceremonially, if he wants to. The little finger with a ring on, perhaps little finger pin in the place of an actual pin, something like that. Hasn't even laid a final blow on him because he's used his brains while his stable have used their brawn. I think it's a nice... I think I, I said this on a, the review last week, the way Jericho was talking was so amazing last week that he felt like he was building up to his own write-off. Like mm. he's, he's... Even if the inner circle don't disappear and they have to splinter off for a while... Like I love the idea of Proud and Powerful having to start again and Sammy Guevara being this fighting baby face and Jake Hager that can't even find Daly's place. Like I love them all having different stories without Jericho as the leader. Builds to a fun comeback. It makes you wonder what's going to happen to the relationship. But I feel like this is the this should be the stage for the complete destruction of Chris Jericho in an effort to set the pinnacle and MJF on their way.
2: Yes, so the pinnacle so have, to, have to be victorious, just to clarify for you. Say again? Pinnacle have to be victorious for you
3: it would be a bit of a rebuilding job. And it's one of those things where it depends how much you listen to the white noise. AEW are capable of rebuilding the pinnacle. This thing is by all accounts mapped out well beyond blood and guts. I think Chris Jericho described this as starting the album with, um, welcome to the jungle, like an absolute, like one of the best songs on the album. And you think, well, they've peaked, but that's how he's described his feud. Um, because it's wrestling, they've been talking about I'm prepared to die in there. FTR have been saying this quite often. That is code for, I think, someone's getting injured and written off before this thing reheats in some way. But again, I don't know how. I'm fascinated as to how. In terms of the finish, yes, the pinnacle go over. Um, it doesn't feel like that trademark, like, joyous AEW thing that they do where they, funnily enough, like they tell these really long-term stories and the babyface wins in the end to make you feel happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It feels like it's going to be in winning contrast to that. And it doesn't feel like the deflating thing, like the inner circle in the pinnacle, like as those groups have been warring for nine months and the heels won, it would be a little bit, yeah, it's a bit of a sad ending, which AW tends not to do. But the fact that this feud has only existed in this form for what, two months, means that I think the pinnacle will win. Um, and in terms of the actual finish, if Chris Jericho's getting written off, if they want it for a while, if they want to symbolize the idea. That MGF has destroyed them. Make it wrestling in that lovely literal way. Put your JCP hat on. You're already wearing it. Break Jericho's
2: arm with the Fujiwara armbar. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Uh, I got to not, really, not really. I want to add to what both of you said. I just oh, I'm getting the Michael Hamlet. Why don't you just stay up and watch it live, Adam? Feely? I'm, I'm watching it live. I'm watching, I'm watching it, live.
4: it live. I'm definitely watching it live. <laughs>
2: Uh, anyway, that's the the only thing, of course, happening tonight on the show. Uh, I'll put some respect on his name after the uh, the road to promo that he cut. QT Marshall uh, is taking on Cody Rhodes, and uh, well, he speaking a lot of truth about that tour bus in the road to pamphlet. Uh, how do you see it playing out tonight?
4: I think this is such an ideal. Place for this match to take place. Um, it immediately tempers expectations from if they'd somehow tried to drag it to a pay-per-view. Um, it won't be expected to be the match of the night because of blood and guts. Um, and yet, like because the angle's been pretty good, it might actually over-deliver. It might give QT Marshall his big spotlight moment against somebody as versatile as Cody, who has done... Like he's done better with worse. Let's be fair, Q T Marshall. Like yeah. he's done better with worse in this AEW run. So I think this is a spot on time for this match to happen. Um, I'd like to think uh, because it's a singles match, we don't have what we had last week, which was the bells and whistles. You know, to cover the to cover some of this. I guess the cracks in the chemistry between those two trios. You needed all the action of. Um, the factory getting involved and all that sort of stuff. I would like to see this be a bit more of a straight-up singles match. I would like to see um, Cody sell a little bit for QT Marshall. And, like, he's going to be cocky at first. He's going to do all the Cody stuff that he does. And then Cutie just to get given that little sliver of credibility before he falls short, because, of course, he's going to fall short. The story requires him to fall short. And then for Cody to possibly take another battering, maybe another hard one at the ribs from Agogo, i don't know i know that sounds quite simple but i'm all in favor of it because i don't particularly want um the factory to lose their heat as some have when they've lost to cody um it's going to sound like an old me take because it's cody specifically but i feel like there is a small line of people queuing up that have been almost victims of the cody Rhodes feud and have struggled to recover a little bit after the the big loss so Sounds a bit WWE, but I would quite like the factory to get the heat back after Cody beats q I'm
3: the Cody guy on this podcast. I'm not worried about this match. But at the same time, I've got reservations about it. Mm-hmm. It is old-fashioned grudge stuff. My worry is that they are going to lean into the violence that's really best left to the goddamn main event. Mm. Uh, you've got comedy elsewhere. You've got squash with Britt Baker, comedy with the uh, Megan Nagasawa stuff which <laughs> I can't wait to get into. You've got the in-house, if you like, fare of that four-way tag where for new viewers drawn to blood and guts, you'll get a taste of what to expect from the tag team division and the, the kind of spots you possibly won't see on WWE TV. Um, in fact, you won't see them on TV. Mm-hmm. This feels like it might be stepping on the toes somewhat on the main event. I'm the Cody guy. I think he's one of the best in the world at delivering in the spot and creating anticipation, cutting promos, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But as much of a Cody guy as I am, I know what he's like. I'm worried he's going to get colour. <laughs> I'm genuinely worried. that he's going to use.
4: But, uh, bl- Blood and guts. Uh, it, w- it would be... Uh, <laughs> I would, oh, I
3: would, no. I love him. I think he's such a force for greatness. I, can, I love him so much that I can... F- feel Michael Hamflet tutting, silent, <laughs> calling me a mark under his breath. And yet I know what he's like. What he's like drives him to be him. And what he's like is a guy who likes going from coast to coast. <laughs> and, and we're just going to choose. I think. In, in context, in isolation, yes, juice for the goddamn guy, the bully, who's the little pissant, who's taking advantage of every opportunity you've given them. This feels like a juicer at the end of a Dynamite main event, and yet it's going to open the show. What I do like about this is how it proves that when AEW does a quick rematch, which they tend not to do, they get the purpose of it. And it's going to completely contravene the exhibition that they had a month or so back, which incited all of this. But my worry is they're going to... I just I don't, I don't want Cody to code eat your blade.
2: Uh, I, I, I think this is the perfect amuse, amuse bush before uh, blood and guts, and you know, I I don't think he will, but I can see there's a way where he gets some color, and it's almost like a just you wait if you like that little bit of blood, wait an hour's time, um, and I, I, I for me it's really straight. Sorry, Hamfleur, you're going to say something.
4: I was just thinking it, we, you wouldn't need color if this served as the match to build, maybe Stadium Stampede two. Between the nightmare family and the factory, because you've got people instead of color, you've got you know, running buddies after the fact. There's yeah, like I think what I don't know, I don't want to put words in Sidgwick's mouth. Maybe what you would like, like he's indulgent, Cody, isn't he? He's in, yeah, but he, he should indulges have
3: done it. things just not on the night. I hear yeah, that oh, he's got pyro, I oh, gotta get to color, he makes things dramatic and spectacular. <laughs>
4: there are nights, there are nights to be indulgent, there are nights not to, there are matches to be indulgent, there are matches not to, and I, I wonder if here the use of the stables set up that big match for double
2: or nothing. I think I, I, you, that actually lends itself perfectly into the way that I, I think this thing goes. Because I was going to say, I think it's really straightforward here. I think I think it's a relatively short match. I think it plays out much the way Sidric described in terms of like, he doesn't really take it too seriously. Uh, but eventually, obviously, like his, like when they had the, the friendly rivalry match um, that led to all this, he's obviously going to have the upper hand. And I think he wins. He wins pretty... Easily or well not, easily but decisively, and you've just it writes itself of Cody, you were the one who got his hand raised, but who stood tall at the end of that. Because I can't think of a worse time to take a gut shot than when your arm is literally <laughs> in the air and all that rib cage and all that soft bit of your tummy is exposed. So I think he beats, he beats QT Marshall, and I think, like you say, uh, as, as it potentially could lead to, Hamlet. I think you don't need, like, a, a mad run-in with everyone, gun club and blah, blah, blah. Just Anthony Ogogo just comes in. I know we, we, we seem to be booking this every single week. Anthony Ogogo comes in and breaks Cody's ribs with one shot because when your arm's up in the air, that's a lovely, lovely little target for a, a former Olympic boxer. What do you reckon, Sid? Uh Yeah, absolutely.
3: Even if they don't get the result, they should get the heat. Hmm. Maybe they could get both. I don't know. I'm all about Anthony Ogogo punching people in the ribs. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a good measure, right? These WWE mutants, right? They don't like it that they are made to feel thick because cleverer people than them like the good, intelligent product. They hate it, right? They hate it. The biggest tell, right, of things they don't like is when they are true and they can't stomach it. God, Kenny Omega's not a draw. <laughs> Kenny is not a draw. Uh, He is. He's drawing his fans to Impact Wrestling, which was dead. God, Anthony gogo has got a rubbish finish. (laughs) That actually means it's a good finish. Mm. And you're just too much of a baby to recognize that fact. So, yeah, just punch everyone in the ribs. Be the rib puncher. Could you call him the rib puncher? (laughs) The guy who wins people in the context of pro wrestling in which the purpose is to wind your opponent long enough to get them on the mat for three. These people oh. are talking about. Anyway, let's not into the insect.
4: No, nah, but could you imagine if like you just had to like walk through the old WWE locker room and there's frigging JBL. Wrestler's caught. Nice rib. Shame if I fucking broke it. like.
3: <laughs> I'd love to watch Anthony a go-go punch JBL. I, I
4: couldn't. i just want it to go on and on and on.
3: So uh, they were telling me, this is a total sorry. I know we've got a lot to do this afternoon. But um, it came up on Twitter yesterday how um, JBL was talking with somebody, I think it might have been Jericho, about the WCW invasion and how like the people in WCW were pissed off at DX. And like, Vincent Mann apparently said at Triple H, if you see Meng, just... If you see Haku, just piss off. Can you imagine, man? Can you imagine if Meng, Haku, just actually came out and punched Triple H square in the face? How the course of history would be changed for the better? It would have been amazing.
4: Just punch, punches the gun off so they can't even call it a tank. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
2: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt.
1: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare.
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Right. Let's look at the rest of this card, then uh, and talk Omega and Nakazawa versus Moxley and Eddie bloody Kingston.
3: I cannot wait for this. This is if, on any other week that wasn't blood and guts, even if you had something like Phoenix versus, I don't know, Jungle Boy, because their last five minutes at Revolution were amazing. Even if you had a match of that caliber, like it's total, like guaranteed minor classic of a TV match, I would still be looking forward to Kenny and Nakazawa versus Moxie and Kingston more than anything on that show. It only happens that it's blood and guts, so you can't look past it, obviously. Like, It's not going to be a great match. I think it's going to be hysterical. I I think they're going to measure it perfectly. What I love about Michael Nakazawa is that no one entertains him. Like, no one sells for him. It's not like Orange Cassidy. It's a bit like Orange Cassidy, where you don't get Orange Cassidy. You get Orange Cassidy and AEW, and it's perfect in how it's adapted to this context. Like, I I can't wait for the specific way in which Moxley and Kingston just refuse to entertain him. They'll patronize him, they'll take the piss, they'll be scoping some physical comedy, and then they'll batter him, and it'll be so cathartic. I just think they're going to get the perfect blend of Michael Nakazawa comedy. You're going to get the perfect opponents to no sell that comedy for the people who hate Michael Nakazawa's brand of comedy, Andy Murray. You're going to get a match laid out to appease the people who quite like Nakazawa, all of them, the people who hate Ben, ben Roy Turner. Ben Roy Turner. And on top of it, because of the three men involved, Nakazawa can go. Like it just doesn't in AEW, but you can go. Maybe you'll get a spot where Nakazawa actually can go. You know, like, remember the QT Marshall debut when he was like this little goober who was the jobber, and like he was picked by MJF, and then he could go, and it was like really quite exhilarating. You might get something like that. If you don't, you'll get the perfect blend of Nakazawa comedy and how it's sold and not sold by Moxie and Kingston. You'll get two minutes of exhilarating action between Omega and Moxley. But I think this is going to be like a match of just amazing range, like entertainment in so many different ways.
4: It's great as well that Kingston and Moxley, uh, on their way up the rankings, as a result of probably pinning Michael Nakazawa en route, en route to a tag match, like a tag title shot against the Young Bucks. They've got to stop. They've got to like start, um, like kind of putting together a series it's of
3: rounds. There'll be yeah, two like, they've already beaten the Good Brothers
4: so you've got the tag eliminator. obviously that we're going to talk about to set up one set of challenges but in the meantime they'll have beaten the Good Brothers they'll have beaten and basically they ploughed through the elite to get the rankings up to take the titles off the Young Bucks which is just lovely it's really like because the match was there pretty much after the exploding Barbar by a death match we saw the makings of this tag match but AEW stayed relatively loyal to its rankings in order to make it feel like it's be- like it's not just happening because of a storyline, it's happening because they've worked it up. The Young Bucks, especially this version of the Young Bucks, will dodge Kingston and Moxley at all costs. So Kingston no! and Moxley will-, <laughs> will just win until they have no choice but to face them.
3: It's so good, this company, man, because now that you've... Yeah, they've gone through the Super Elite. They've beaten the Good Brothers yeah. about months ago. Now they're going through Omega and Nakazawa to get to the books. Maybe Cutler's brother can come back from G <laughs> I would, like, I would like that. Um, but just to step on your toes, Willborn, I'm sorry, because it does dovetail deftly into the next match. This four-way tag, I know there's been criticisms about, well, why do a four-way when you've established a number one contender? What does that make the ranking system? I don't really mind that, because it's not as if, like, they're working a match with Goddamn Chaos Project to get to the number one contender. It's not like that. And using the sports head, because it is the sports company, it's like promotion places. That's my headcanon for it. So you can justify it on that level. You can enjoy it as a match. But what happens in parallel, because everything's intimately connected in this deftly booked wrestling company, is that by putting the contenders all in one match and having presumably SAU win, those contenders have had their shot. You can justify them not getting it, and that clears the path for Moxley and Kingston. It's deft.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I can't see a way that SCU don't leave as winners, obviously, because of not just the fact that they're, as you said, established as number one contenders, but because of the rule they've they've set up for themselves. And as much as, as, much as you can say, oh, well, oh, it's a four-way and what have you, but it's an eliminator, so it's a loss. So you can't have them lose. But... um, It'll be a bloody entertaining journey, uh, Michael, because it's not just SCU, it's Jurassic Express, Varsity Blondes and the acclaimed. Um, god god forbid what they're going to say about some of these teams. Yeah, uh,
4: so this is a one-night opportunity and we've seen how good they are at kind of using these eliminators for angles. It's a one-night opportunity to make good on what, in my opinion, has been one of the bigger AW disappointments of this year which is the SCU win or breakup storyline. There was a real barbershop energy to how that was set up in Britt Baker's dentist segment. Um, and then it was like, I don't want to say left to rot on dark and dark television. Cause I know people watch those shows, but I, I don't. And I certainly would have liked to see more of this angle playing out. I've got enough like wrestling fan love in my heart for the career Chris Daniels has had. And, how important SCU were to the very formation of AEW through their involvement in All In. Um, so they've, they've not told enough of this story. And I think this match is such a perfect one night make good for that. By the time SCU get to the Young Bucks and the Young Bucks stand to split up to their best friends like a couple of pricks, um, I think it's, like it's going to have felt well established almost entirely as a result of this match, which will be well worked because SCU get to be the generals of it. Um, You know, you've got obviously, like the acclaimed and are going to have a lot of fun verbally at the expense of the Varsity Blondes. Um, And then you're going to see this kind of like stars of the future combination potentially with the Jurassic Express. But SCU are of course the heart of it. And I, I do expect them to win. And I do expect this to be an angle of a match powerful enough to make up for the fact that they've kind of They've just underserved this this story a little bit. I'd have loved there to have been more Dynamite matches for SCU over the last couple of months. This will go a long way in fixing that and will be just enough for the heat for the uh, the inevitable Young Bucks tag match.
3: I'm going to reiterate this broader point before we get to the last match. Um, I've said it before on podcasts and it bears repeating. They need to do clips of Dark on Dynamite. The ticker tape isn't enough. These arcs and these winning streaks just materialize out of nowhere if you don't watch the program, and many people don't, to the point where it just feels like, I love that they've gone to the effort, but I want more. I expect more. It's elite. You want it to be the perfect company that it virtually is most of the time. They need to do clips on dark. It's like evidence, if you like. the one matches. Just a a one-minute rundown of dark and dark elevation. Don't put like guys who aren't going to be because they lay everything out so well in advance. You don't want to like put clips of everything TV times at a premium, but you knew, well, they knew that this day was coming for SCU. It's been in the plans. They could have realized, well, in select highlights from dark, SCU are building up quite the winning streak. Watch out for them in the months to come. Something,
2: something. Mm. Yeah. It's a really good point. Uh, Cause you look at the, I've just seen the rankings that came out today. Yes. Um, and I love the comparison as well, Sid, of this being like playoff places in in the lower leagues. Because yeah, SCU number one, twelve and 0 record, Jurassic Express seven and and0 record, third varsity blondes ten and two, and the acclaimed six and one uh, behind that FTR. And then like you say, you can build up to to, to Moxley and Kingston, who uh, would, be, would be two and 0, as you said. Um, yeah, I love that, and uh, yeah, that's the only tweak I'd probably make to to Dynamite in terms of in terms of notifying people about Doc, because you know even the most committed fans may miss Dark or Dark Elevation and, and you can't have these storylines bubbling underneath and, and requiring that sort of attention like t- I would not have guessed Essie you were on 12-0 this year for example So I
3: watch most of Dark there are some matches that are entirely skippable but I watch most of Dark and Dark Elevation in abbreviated form and because
2: they're not on Dynamite and it just it always feels lesser than so they need to fold it in in some way to yeah. do a clip uh, and finally, speaking of rankings, you look up to the women's rankings. Number one with an eight and one record this year is one Dr. Britt Baker. She is at in action tonight. I sense she's going to go to nine and one. Michael Sidgwick. Yeah, absolutely. Just a qu- sorry, just a quick note on the actual prospective quality of that
3: four-way. I'm kind of expecting the Gentlemen's three elevated by the noise. Kind of mm. worried about the level of experience in there, um, but I'm prepared to be completely surprised. Um just those matches kind of fall apart at times on AEW TV. So I've got reservations about the prospective quality, even though I love the destination. As for Baker, pick someone who's competent enough on dark to eat the um goddamn, what's a finisher called? Lockjaw. The lockjaw, of course. Sorry, Britt. Sorry about that. I know you listening. <laughs> um competent enough to eat some offense, sell that as if it's a horrible thing to endure because they want to put in mind the idea of, if she's not careful, is going to succumb to it as well. And on a night where you should have put Phoenix in a match... to Wait, dance in action. It. You could face Bribbeck. <laughs> Maybe. Imagine. That'd be great. On a night when you are meant to get people to watch this programme, it's awesome that, even though it's only two minutes, that they are going... With Baker in the slot, Um, have a cut up promo. It'll be a. If I was reviewing it t- tomorrow and she doesn't cut a promo, it would be a down because just great at it, just so marketable. She's so talented. You want to put her in that spot for that reason.
4: Was MJF not suggesting that if a woman was ever going to join the Pinnacle, it would be Brit? Yeah. It would make all the sense for it to be Brit Baker. I think it would be quite. I know we talked about this in the Cody match, but it doesn't need to be over the top. But I think it would be quite something if the locked jaw, like we just saw the bloodied teeth of her her opponent losing, like as a kind of foreshadowing, like she makes her opponents bleed, and so will the pinnacle later on in the show, something like that. But other than that, um, they've afforded themselves a routine Brit Baker win mm. so that she can talk more about the rankings and the title shot she believes she's owed it's such a nice and easy thing to slot onto a show that gives it a little bit of extra flavor that is also completely tied to the logical booking of her ascent I love
2: it and a show that's what three and a half weeks away from the pay-per-view if my maths is correct so yeah perfect build for for, for that match at, at the pay-per-view quick word on i've just just realized there as obviously we you know aw listens and takes notes and, and adapts this into dynamite uh, quick word <laughs> for the acclaimed um if you're looking for a rhyme for blood and guts these nuts there you go uh, right okay that's <laughs> <concludes>. <laughs> Sock let's conclude Uh, as everyone is wanting to do on Twitter, by talking about the ratings. Because, you know, last week was a disappointment, 889,000.33 in the 18-49 to demo. Although I would say, uh, as people said to defend SmackDown, which I think was up against the NFL draft, this was up against the president's address, if I'm not mistaken. And until we get the Joe Biden is all elite graphic, that is going to affect some of the ratings. Um, I, I, I have no idea. How it's going to play out this week, uh, Hamlet? Uh, I would uh, anticipate certainly over a million, considering what they've done in previous weeks. Um, but how do you see it before we before we get Sidgwick's thoughts?
4: Um, for them to hit what like that kind of expected, sub, like 1.2, 1.3 million target, the target that was seen as like an like just the pop of all pops in their first unopposed week. I expect them to hit that again. Um, I don't think this will be the most viewed Dynamite ever. Um, I'd love it if it was. I'd love it if the like, great booking and the, the promise of a great match, a pay-per-view-worthy main event, um, was rewarded by the best number ever. But we just, we just it doesn't happen, does it? We just don't get it. Um, but I certainly think something in line with what we had on the first week of Dynamite, because it's a card. It, it's event television on a night where... Like, it's event wrestling television on a night where there's no other wrestling show happening. So, again, we didn't speak to a presidential address last week, so I don't know if there's something else happening that can potentially, like, chip away at that audience, but I just feel like that's what the first Unopposed Dynamite was. It was an event. It was something to tune in for, to see for the first time without something else going against it. I think this is just that. So I think it's going to hover around that 1.3 mark, and they should be, like, extraordinarily proud of that as well.
3: I... Uh, I don't know about this. It's a shame that do not on Cinco de Mayo, which generates beer sales by the absolute bucket load. Um, it's a big party night. AEW tends not to do well on big party nights because it's got such a youthful hip audience, of which I'm one. Um, but I'm loyal, so you know, what's your problem? I can't I'm being a complete arsehole. Are you gonna uh, have
2: a yes. grand margarita with this show?
3: Well, I was kind of Time with the idea of why the hell not. It's yes single, It's blood and guts. I've been <laughs> waiting for this for a year. It feels symbolic of a, a goddamn much needed change. Maybe I'll have a little mug. Maybe I'll have a little morgue for this. Um it's single to Mayo, which will diminish the audience, undoubtedly. But if you look at how well this has been built, how much of a spectacular new attraction it is, how pay-per-view adjacent it is, how Live matches tend to hold the audience more than inset promos, etc., video packages, and it's like the longest live match or one of the longer live matches you're likely to see on American wrestling TV, in which MGF and Chris Jericho, two veritable ratings draws, are at the star, at the forefront of it. I'll go 1.3, and I would have went 1.5, holding the record
2: were it not for single 1.3 the thing is is you know what the response will be regardless whether they do 1.2 okay. 1.3 1.5 like if they do 1.3 people will say it's not as good as this if they do like 1.5 they'll say I'm still not being SmackDown. down it's like you can't win with these sorts of things Yeah, Sid uh, no, so, screw them uh, regardless we will be tuning in and we will be reviewing it tomorrow. And I, I cannot wait for this show, uh, but let us know your thoughts ahead of a W dynamite blood and guts on Twitter at what culture WWE. Watch there, follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at what culture WWE and make sure you subscribe to what culture wrestling, wherever you get your podcast from, because we'll be back tomorrow tomorrow. Uh, Discussing this show, and inevitably me and Michael Cidwell will be discussing fallout from this show over the weekend with our AEW Get the Table podcast. Uh, but for now, this has been AEW Dynamite Blood and Guts Preview. No more sleeps, ladies and gentlemen. It's finally here. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. Good luck to MJF. And we will see you soon. Not going to shag you. <laughs>